0: Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Irvine, California.
1: Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and I am the exhibitions coordinator for Marking Time, Art and Age Mass Incarceration, which is now on display at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I'm coming to you from Harlem, so that's where I'm at. Cool. Uh, this
2: is Seth Rodney. I am a former uh, opinions editor and senior critic for Hyperallergic I'm now a freelance arts writer. And I'm speaking to you from Newburgh in the Hudson Valley.
0: This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Um, and we are talking about this week. We're talking about uh, Stephen. You had the 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 cleanest uh, reminder of what we had committed to last week. What, do you want to say what we're talking about? This <laughs> That's what I was like. What did I say? Um,
1: so we're just basically talking about people, artists, thinkers that we enjoy, but also as a challenge to to talk about someone we may not agree with, but that we respect as an intellectual, a philosopher, thinker, and so forth. And so I thought it'd be great to think through really one. I always want to hear what Seth and Travis have to say about the people that they like or people that they follow. And I'm always running my mouth about whoever I love always, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah, so I thought it might be a good podcast to kind of like talk about these things, just highlight some folks and why.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure obviously as we get into people we like and, or, you know, respect, but, you know, don't necessarily agree with, uh, I'm sure obviously other aspects of current Mm. cultural freakouts will emerge. So, (laughs) um, uh, (laughs) Seth or Steven, do you, you, one of you guys want to start?
2: Uh, I can, if you don't mind, Steven. I don't mind at all.
0: Nope.
2: Okay, cool. So, I had a little bit of a, panic is too strong a word for this yesterday, when I was thinking, oh, I really need to think seriously about finding someone I respect but disagree with, because it'd be too easy to talk about intellectuals I like. Uh, And then this morning, I was like, oh, right, here's an easy one, call Marx. But then I thought, no, 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 I don't know enough about Marx to actually (laughs) talk Okay in an intelligent way about what I specifically mm-hmm. disagree with. I mean, I could mm. fashion an argument on the on the on the fly, but never mm-hmm. read enough Marx. But then I thought, oh, but there is someone who's kinda close who I have read a lot of, and that's Pierre Bourdieu. And a okay. Pierre Bourdieu talked a lot about museum visiting. And I wrote a book on museum visiting, the personalization mm-hmm. of the museum visit, you know, Art Museum, Discourse and Visitors, which came out in 2019, published by Routledge. So mm-hmm. with y'all's indulgence, I'm just nice. going to read a bit of the, of what I wrote about Bourdieu or Bourdieu's, my take on Bourdieu's conception of the museum visit. I'm going to read that for my book because the passage that I have in mind just encapsulates what I find really influential about Bourdieu in the um, museum studies Canon but mm-hmm. also what I disagree what I disagree with so okay. uh, basically it's just like two um, paragraphs uh, so it, it, the unfortunate thing about the first paragraph is sort of it sort of leaves um, it, it starts us off well, I kind of have to explain how it starts off. because I said the first sentence is, based on these data, Bourdieu and Darbell formulate a complex linkage of socialization, social and economic privilege expressed culturally, a set of aesthetics associated with class, and the encoding of these aesthetics by the museum, and mm. a kind of violence meted out to those who recognize themselves as not rightly belonging in the museum. So the data Mm -hmm. that I'm talking about is the data that connected by surveys they sent out to, I think it was five European countries in the 1960s to find out their formal education, occupation, and residence location of those who visited museums, art museums, I think. Okay. Okay. So that's the the data, right? That they are formulating in a complex linkage of socialization, et cetera. Next sentence. Bourdieu and Darbell conclude that the position of one's family in the social order is the prerequisite for a certain kind of socialization, they call the habitus, that yields an appreciation of art. More, they conclude that the museum allows economic power, which exists in different forms of capital, to be rendered euphemistically and to mm. be misrecognized as natural traits expressed mm. by individuals in the guise of personal preferences. Okay. So the museum assists this process of separating out the barbarians in quotes from the civilized in quotes through mm-hmm. the professional coding of the aesthetics of display. Ah. Okay. So next, next, uh, and, and last paragraph. Bourdieu concludes, or two paragraphs. Bourdieu concludes that while the working class visitor consents to his domination by the museum by seeing oh. himself as one who does not belong, the museum also can participates in this domination. In this sense, the museum enacts what Bourdieu and Darbell describe as "quote unquote" symbolic violence. Bourdieu's view of the field of art, and therefore his view of the visit, is that it is a <laughs> screen that relates an account of a cultural process, but underneath the screen lies a more fundamental economic reality. For him, the museum is a place of representation, shrouding a social process through which class distinctions are internalized by representing these distinctions as though they inhere naturally. The visit is an expression, in cultural terms, of a set of essentially economic relations via the vehicle of consumption. The Mm -hmm. museum visit is one of the cultural processes by which the economic foundations of inequality are misrecognized. Taking Bourdieu's findings to the logical extent, one can say that he believes that art in itself really has no meaning. So, very powerful critique. This is something Mm -hmm. that has continued to reverberate throughout the museum field in different ways. Like Lots of people have picked up on the essential critique, which is that museums are for bourgeois folks, middle-class folks, and they make working class and the poor feel like they don't belong mm. by encoding a set of aesthetics and by, t- and by, making, by helping the argument along that okay. these aesthetics are sort of um, just well, to look natural. Yeah, they're just naturally expressed by people who are middle-class. So I profoundly disagree with this. And, the, and part of the reason I disagree is that I know myself from coming from a working class background that the museum was transformative for me. Like that's okay. part of my story. The experiences I mm-hmm. had in the museum were transformative. Mm-hmm. Lord makes no space for that.
0: Okay. Um, for
2: him, it is just, it's, it's about, it's about economic inequality and it's about culture, cultural processes being a kind of screen that rev- render them euphemistically. Mm-hmm. Um, powerful thinker. Said some important things. Profoundly disagree with him.
0: So, what is he?
1: Is he a soci? What? Is, he's a sociologist. What is he?
2: Yes, he's a sociologist. that's, yeah. that's okay. exactly right. Yes,
0: yeah, uh, European sociologists, though. So, I mean, which is a slightly different flavor okay. than American sociologists. So, they tend to be a little less data-driven, although he uses data in his arguments, but he's more, you know, Mm. it's, it's more, it's more closely akin to social philosophy. Um, So Mm -hmm. I I am a hundred percent in agreement with you, Seth, for that. And, and I mean, not necessarily for your own personal reasons, but uh, though I, I know them, uh, but for other reasons as well, I do, if, if we're going to, if we're going to air the thinkers though, I do, I do think I mean so Bordeaux does have an answer for for your experience, right? This would be this would be essentially kind of the internalization of a class aspiration for, for you. This would be Bordeaux's answer to your transform to to your the, your feeling of transformation is that uh-huh. you essentially have internalized this this um the aspiration to belong to a higher social class of higher social status mm-hmm. and all of the attendant sort of goods and pleasures and privileges that go along mm-hmm. with that, with mm-hmm. that aspiration and that attainment, right? Cause you've mm-hmm. like, you, you would not, you might internally identify as working class, but you would not externally be identified as working class at this part in, at this point in your life. Yeah. I suppose uh. so. No, not a, so, not a I mean, so PhD. Th- mm-hmm. it, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. No, no, that's right. Right. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, and, and writer, a uh, writer yeah. and living, you know, I mean, these are, these are all things that would, that ex- the external markers of the working class would not, uh, right. would no longer be easily found on your body. Um, even though internally you might identify with those things. Right. You, um, ain't black, Seth. you ain't black
1: stuff. You ain't black. I had to throw I that You like, I feel feel like, some- <laughs> Go ahead. No, it doesn't make me laugh because it's it's this terrible idea that um, people of African descent, you know, once they decide, once once a particular kind of group codified activity or belief system or culture, if you step outside of that for some people, that is one of the ways that people sort of ring people in, you know, that sort of pull them back Mm -hmm. in and say, well, you're not Mm -hmm. this, you're not that. And then you have to contend with that to some degree. Sometimes it's humor, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be hurtful, but it's also, mm-hmm. it's a thing, you know, and I don't mm-hmm. know yeah. if any other culture has that, but I've seen different parts of it in different non-black cultures, depending mm-hmm. on, for sure, you're not from for this, sure. you know, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you are yeah. not yeah. this thing yeah, oh, yeah, that you, we you, claim to you be forgot because we, you are doing this. Yeah, you yeah. forgot.
2: Yeah, you forgot yeah. where you came from. That kind of it's thing. it's like I yeah, don't yeah, even know where sure. I came from. What?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to come. I'm from there, but I don't want to go there or be there. So therefore, <laughs> right. I'm going to go
2: there.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. right. Well, that's so, Steph, how would you? Mm-hmm. How, Steph or Stephen? I guess how would you? Uh, I mean, to my characterization of Bordeaux's response, right? So, let's say it's not 100, but I mean, it's certainly in the ballpark of 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 what Bordeaux would argue. I, I would suggest. What what would your response to that be? Hmm. Um, I don't know. It's
2: good. Uh, it's hard to say because he's... I mean, the, the unfortunate thing is he sort of ventured into uh, social psychology or maybe just psychology. And I, I don't know that he has this sort of empirical data that he had with the surveys to make that sort of claim. I just... I don't like, I would, I would, I guess, you know, if you were alive, I would say to him, well, well, based on what? Based on what evidence? Because if, if you're just saying, oh, it must be this because you've set up the game to say that the only way that uh, a person can experience the, the visit is, uh, the museum is basically through the lens of class difference, then, then of course, like the only, the only way that you can make sense of me feeling quite differently is, through making up the story about aspiration but i don't know that there's any actual evidence for that
0: mm. let's, let's yeah uh, yeah that seems fair i, I mean uh, to be to be clear i don't know that he ventures I, I i more i was suggesting that that makes sense within the sort of social structures that he has laid out and you know his right. works that i'm yeah. familiar with um steven you're about to say something
1: no, that's similar to what I was saying. I was like, it depends on where you enter the circle of that idea, you know? Mm. So it can't be one truth. It can be thought of in that way. So I respect what he was saying, but I'm like, I agree with you, Seth, in terms of your own personal experience, but also the experiences of a lot of different people who may not even like be coming from those two pathways to that to the, to the museum experience you know, I, not everyone's trying to social climb, quote unquote. Some people, that's not even, some people might go, and I've heard this a lot when it comes to working class people making sure that their children took piano lessons or some kind of music education or to go to the museum because they were in effect trying to instill something in them that was denied to them in their community. You know, so mm-hmm. they were like, we're going to push you a little head," because it was a form in some ways of being able to speak in the language of the the class you wanted to be in. So it was a class aspirational thing. Got that. But there's just so many ways to think about what he's saying. So like, no, it's not always an off-putting or outsider experience for someone that in, that I feel like it's I feel like museums to a large degree are um, depending on how they're built, um, they're spoils of the empire. So they're kind of telling you this is this is culture, this is what we this is what we value here. This is what we've agreed upon. And so I don't necessarily think that, that that's... I, hmm, I've got myself in a bind here. But I think... Um,
2: you think that there are other responses that other than aspirational, really? I mean, I think yeah, that's Yeah, no,
0: that's, that's basically... That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. I well, just, it can that's, just... It, yeah. It, I think you said it... I mean, I followed you at the very beginning. It, it can just be both, right? I mean, it yeah. can... Like many things, like many human activities, it can be more than one thing. It can function... As I mean, certainly as the a, a way to create uh, a national identity or mm-hmm. even yeah. an elite identity. If you go back into ancient history, they probably weren't too concerned with national identities. But certainly with, with elite mm-hmm. identities, you know, the identities of, you know, sort of being royalty or a chief or a king or something like that. I mean, museums mm-hmm. go back to... Uh Argon or whatever. in Ing mm-hmm. or something like that. Ing in- ing or whatever the Sumerian or Akkadian daughter okay. or Sumerian daughter, I forget. Um uh, eighth, seventh, eighth century BCE. I mean, we're talking super, mm-hmm. super early. Um seem to have like a kind of museum, certainly not for the public, but, you know, in, uh-huh. a private museum, which I know Seth has said on the podcast before, private museums long predate public museums, right? This is mm-hmm. sort of a 19th century, 19th century uh, Western invention, but um, correct me if that's not right. But um, uh, uh, it was 18th century is that 18th century? I think
2: so. I think so.
1: Yeah. I think okay. it's analogous so, to archives, and libraries, but yeah, go ahead. You yeah, know, just thinking it's analogous. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a three. Yeah. Lines. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it can be both, right? I mean, you can, you Mm -hmm. can, you can put your kids into piano lessons because you want, that's what other middle-class kids do. And you can put your kids into piano lessons because you really fucking love Bach or something. Right. 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 And you want to share
1: that. Right. You know, so yeah, yeah. I think in the, the, the American sensibility, I think, and sometimes it's really about uplift and and getting, you know, and going somewhere. Right. And so, so most people I read, I don't know if this is true, stay in the class that they were born in, but that the difference between yes. Europe is that they know that, and in the U.S. <laughs> they've been told that they can transcend it. Yes, and it's a lot yes, more. That yeah. the, the class is not just money; it's a whole host of other signifiers. You know, so yeah. Anyhow,
2: yeah. And also, one last thing: the the, the problem with what Bourdieu's answer is in that case, is that it's so centered on the individual that it completely ignores the institution. So but you sort of paints museums with a wide brush, and he's not making mm-hmm. um, any distinction between different kinds of museums, like the museum that you mentioned, Travis. There's a distinction between, between private and public museums and universal survey museums. And the museums that have been developed in the 20th century that do quite different things. Like there's the a yeah. museum mm-hmm. of like, um, what was it? There's a the museum of... Um, of, what was it, of of broken chances or something like that, somewhere in in, Mm. in Western Europe. Um, There are different kinds of museums Mm -hmm. that aren't just about, uh, that that, that don't come out of that history of the spoils of war or the development of a public institution that sort of reifies um, national identity. There are different kinds of institutions now, and he makes no space for them.
0: Yeah, it's Sachsenhausen or whatever, which is the Holocaust. Uh, the. Mm-hmm. the- the concentration camp they kept intact in yes. know, just outside Berlin um, mm-hmm. would be an example of that uh, mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. sure. Plus, I, the, I mean, don't you have to give a shit to send out surveys to, or like what people like think about the museum visit? Like, isn't that like something? Isn't that a? I mean, whether you know, maybe you're saying, "Oh, like enough, not not enough people are coming to the museum because we want you know more visitors." Or maybe you could come up with a commercial, you know, uh, capital reason for it. But mm-hmm. you send also send out surveys because you care what people think and you want to know like what they're interested in doing or why right. they mm-hmm. are unhappy at this right. you know
2: um
0: right. yeah I, I, I think i i'm on the same page with your suspicion um i just you know wanted to give bordu a little more oxygen to to yeah. push back mm-hmm. so, yeah good good question good question travis
2: so we can move on to y- one of y'all's uh uh intellectual heroes
1: go right ahead Travis
0: okay, <laughs> okay all right. so I um I th- so I did two I mean more than two obviously but um I did and I didn't um, I thought of the parameters of the question slightly differently so I uh, thought of people who are active today as opposed to uh, in the recent past or distant past
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and so for uh, people that I, um, that, and I tried to go with people that are newer to me, you know, because I'm trying to always, you know, sort of expand,,, uh, uh, my circle of intellectual friends, meaning, you know, just you know, people who write books and things like that. Um, and uh, probably respect, but do not agree with. Um, but really believe that he operates in good faith, uh, even though I disagree with him most of the time, would be Sam Harris. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I really do think that, to me, he reads as someone is very authentic and actually uh, is very invested in the things that he talks about and the topics that he talks about. Uh, He strikes me as... um, sincerely curious um and uh deeply committed to being rational uh and I think it leads him to the wrong conclusions more than half the time uh that I that I encounter his work so could you
2: could you just tell us just assuming that the listener doesn't know who Sam Harris is what Sam Harris mostly talks about
0: yeah so well now he talks about he really kind of is all over. He's sort of you know, he's basically a public intellectual. He talks about everything now. Okay. Um yeah. t- To be clear, I, I have not followed him very closely for quite a while now. But you know, every once in a while, you see something pop up on social media or um, in the news or something like that. So you know, I mean, he's he's uh, all over the place as far as topics that he covers now. What really made his bones? What made him um, uh, most Uh, well-known were his diatribes against religion in general, Islam in particular. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I feel was a lot of times unfairly represented by the media and by critics. Like, I don't feel like they were honestly Mm -hmm. engaging with what he had to say, Mm -hmm. but I do still think he was mostly wrong in, you know, he's another example. So very much not like Baudu, but, uh, but, in this way, similar that he reduces a vast complexity to one or two uh, objective variables, right? So, so could, could you, know,
2: you could could you give us an example? Yeah, yeah. sure.
0: So, like he very famously uh, called uh, Islam the motherload of bad ideas. Um, this mm. was his characterization of. of Tell us how movie. you really
1: feel, Sam Harris. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and,
0: a, really, really. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and you know, same thing. You know, obviously, he feels. I mean, in in his defense, he he tends to um, be critical, maybe not equally critical, but also arguably equally critical of the other Abrahamic faiths, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Christianity, probably less so Judaism, though critical of Israel. Um, okay, and, uh, you know, he, yeah, I mean, he finds these things irrational. He finds, I mean, in mm-hmm. this way, uh, I mean, uh, I think Seth, you might, even though intellectually and on self reflection, you would probably tread more carefully. I think emotionally you identify with some of his, um, uh, judgments about Religion and its function in society. So
2: I think that's I think uh, that's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah and okay. so I, I think, but I think it leads to him to some very uh, some gross simplifications that mm-hmm. I don't. For for example, Seth, I don't think you would follow that. Like you have you sort of you know you have this like oh, okay I know I don't like this thing so I'm gonna you know just kind of beg off or whatever and you know not make too many broad generalizations about it. He doesn't feel okay. that same trepidation clearly. Right. Um, okay. So, but. I think he's earnest, uh, about mm-hmm. these, uh, criticisms. Um, I think they have to be dealt with. I think, you know, you can't mm-hmm. just ignore, um, you can't just ignore these criticisms. Of course, uh, uh, religion is, uh, religions, plural, um, a monotheistic face, uh, in particular, uh, because we, that's what we come into contact with. Although certainly Hindu nationalism would fall into that, and even mm-hmm. uh, oh yes, uh, Buddh- Buddhist nationalism in Sri Lanka uh, and um, and Cambodia also mm-hmm. have a lot of uh, really nasty appendages. Um, there you go. And so, mm-hmm. right, so it's not just the Abrahamic faiths that um, have these uglier attendant parts, right This is mm-hmm. you know, large scale groups in general. but anyway, Sam Harris um, I don't I respect him but I, I don't often agree with him. Okay. Um, so someone that uh, I um, I enjoy quite a bit and is a relatively new uh, engagement for me, even though I've had his book for several years and had just not picked it up is a guy named Peter Zahan. Um, who is a geopolitical analyst. Um, So geopolitics uh, is a word you see probably all over the place, but just to gloss it really quickly, this is someone that is um, concerned with demography, geography, um, you know, kind of the physical realities Mm -hmm. of our various political arrangements Mm. and the impact of those physical realities on the formation and behavior of those political realities. So, um, Mm. you know, the United States, Zahan's argument is essentially that not only is the United States not in political, I mean, is not in um, geopolitical decline, it may be in political decline internally, uh, but it's not only is it not in geopolitical decline, um, in the next 50 years, there will be no one that's even remotely close to the United States in abundance, status, or wealth. Um, mm. And uh, and he does that by focusing on the physical realities rather than um, the political or oh, cultural arguments around okay. ascendance. So, for example... Um, he would argue that one of the reasons that the United States is so far in a way ahead of places like China or anyone else is that the, the, the international trading order has been underwritten by the United States Navy Mm. uh, since post-World War II. And that every uh, international trade network for the last 2000 years has required a robust Navy in order to maintain it. Mm -hmm. Um, that essentially, it's American security guarantees that make things like international shipping a reality. Okay. Um, and once you, once the United States loses its taste for doing that, as we are clearly doing, right? We are becoming increasingly isolationist, not just because of Trump, but in general. Oh, in general. Um, yeah. Um, once that happens, international trade networks will not be able to be sustained. Because it's so much cheaper to ship things by water than it is to ship things over land. Mm -hmm. So like he'll break things down like, you know, it costs 11 cents per mile to ship something, you know, per ton or something like that Mm -hmm. to ship uh, uh, something over waterways, rivers and oceans. Um, And it doesn't cost anything to maintain it. You don't have to pay anything to maintain the ocean. It's very expensive to maintain roads. It's very expensive to maintain railways. It's very expensive to manufacture and produce and distribute jet fuel and manufacture Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, jet airplanes and maintain airports. And so that the underlying costs and economic conditions that sustain um, international powers all favor the United States. Um, the United States, for example, has more uh, seaports on its own than every other country in the world combined, meaning like ports that are mm. sheltered from um, uh, ocean storms, okay. uh, whether it be by just kind of the natural tide flows or placement of islands. Um, the United States has more navigable rivers, which promotes trade. Uh than every other country in the world combined Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, more natural resources, more temperate weather. And so all of these things, he looks at geopolitics from a, a lens from a higher elevation, meaning like he's kind of looking at general historical trends. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, And so that's, that's, those are his conclusions. Um, And so, uh, Oh, go ahead, Seth.
2: Sorry. I just, there was something you just said that, that, Set off alarms for me, you said something about it was after navigable rivers you said it has more and it was before temperate climate it has more
0: natural resources
2: that's the one how because it imports the majority of its petroleum
0: um, uh, so it does that because of politics, so we have stopped so because of fracking and other uh, and other innovations um we do not need to be a net oil importer. We could, mm. we could, we could be a net exporter, and we're in fact an exporter under Trump um, for a, for a year or two. Um, but it's um, it's federal regulation, and it's uh, a politically unpalatable to pursue um, petroleum resources in the United States right now.
2: But, but okay. Sorry, I just I, does he uh, deal at all with the uh, socioeconomic and uh, what's the word I'm looking for the ecological ramifications, consequences of mm. those kinds of drilling, excavation so, operations. Well,
0: socioeconomic socioeconomic is I mean the socioeconomic. There's just, it's it's beneficial, right, to be producing, So, you, but the ecological impact, okay. uh, 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 yes and no. So uh, does he deal with it as in this is a consequence of, of oh, accessing natural resources? Or oh, what would
2: make it, or the thing that might make it politically unpalatable?
0: Well... So this is going to take us in a I mean this will take us in a in a in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um it it's so I'll I'll stick with 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 Zehan as I can represent his argument which is that uh so uh you basically like yes there are th- there are there is no way to produce energy that is without consequence. Mm, it's just Okay. Th- th- this is a this is a green fiction. The idea that wind and solar is somehow um, you know this pristine way, like you can just capture sunlight on your tongue and spit out roads and and planes, you know, from your ass. So, uh, this, yeah. this is a,
2: this is a slight exaggeration, slight, but, yeah, I think.
0: But, but but is in the ballpark of how these things are marketed.
2: That's right? I. I'm I mean, sorry. Uh, I
0: agree. Yeah, I do. Uh,
1: yeah, Ma- anything yeah, that's a magical solution isn't a solution. It is that's not. Right. You yeah. know. It's just not okay. but it Let's grabs the public's so, attention though. And it yeah, okay. it, it yeah. shapes it. It shapes that dynamics of what they believe can happen. So yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry, I apologize. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. So um yeah, that so the the uh it, there is no um non-negative way to capture the amount of energy that is required to power an advanced civilization. Mm. Everything has a cost. I don't just mean a money cost, I mean an ecological cost. Mm-hmm. You can festoon the whole country with solar panels. Mm -hmm. And how long do you think those solar solar panels are going to last? Mm -hmm. How long before you have to replace them? Mm -hmm. How much mining and excavation is required to produce those solar panels at scale? What about the batteries to store them? Mm -hmm. What about the power grids to run these? I mean, it's just, it's absurd. Mm -hmm. Now, are are there ecological consequences to extracting oil and fracking and all that? Yep, absolutely, for sure. Um and uh, it, so anyway, Zayhan would basically say, mm. like, at the end of the day, right? I guess he pro- he would probably bracket it in some way because he's, I I have not yet I haven't read all of his work, but I haven't yet seen him engage with what happens when a culture or empire undoes itself politically, which does happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you assume that ultimately. The nation will choose to do the things that will help that nation endure Mm -hmm. into the future. Mm. Then it's then it's a moot point because, of course, we will at some point begin extracting natural gas and oil from the ground Mm. because that's what's going to allow the United States to continue to thrive as um, as a geopolitical power. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right. Um. So those are my those are my two.
2: Okay.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I like that. I just looked him up a moment ago.
1: He has a book that came out in 2020. He's got a few.
0: Yeah. And, got a few the, the first one that I had for years uh, and only recently read is The Accidental Superpower. Yeah. Um, and he's got a few others since then, That um, uh, one of which I've started. And then the most recent one is... Uh, Disunited uh, Nations? Uh, it, no, no, that that's the third one. There's uh, there's uh, end of the the end of the world is just the beginning. I think it just came out or it's just coming oh, out. Oh that's a great title. That's a great what's, title. Yeah. What's yeah. what's his full name? Peter Zahan okay. and Zahan is Z-E-I-H-A-N. Thank you. He seems op-
1: an optimistic an optimist, you know, or <laughs> at the very <laughs> yeah. least someone yeah, who's pulling from different know, disciplines to sort of think through some of these really, really yeah. hard, hard, hard questions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder if he would, I wonder if he would uh, agree with the characterization of himself as an optimist. I'm saying, not saying he wouldn't, but because like one of the things that is a huge uh, alarm. So he is, he is, he is well known because he predicted the Russian invasion of Ukraine mm-hmm. back in 2014. Okay. He basically said that of course, Russia is not going to be satisfied with Crimea because Russia needs to control more mm-hmm. of its access points to um to the country itself and so that means pushing Russia out to the Vistula gotcha. Poland mm-hmm. the Black Sea all this other stuff so anyway you know, okay.
1: that's helpful to know thank you um mm-hmm.
0: yeah i very little information i
1: had about him <laughs> which you characterized i was just thinking about oh this guy is thinking through he might be interesting to read so that's what thank you for him thank you yeah. for um, mm-hmm. yeah for bringing him up very, All right, two to us. Two, you guys, two, two, two people. So there were just so many people that I love and care about and think are amazing that capture my attention. Um, I'll go with a person that I don't agree with, but I find his, the way, his way of thinking about the world very interesting and worth mining. And that would be um, H.P. Lovecraft. Hmm. Ah, great, great one. I think he is, well, I'll say the things I really, really like. And mm. he was a letter writer. Mm-hmm. right and when people um ask me have I read a particular author typically a novelist or something I'm not very much into novels but I love nonfiction and I love letters and interviews and anything around the process mm. sometimes of writing or explaining the writing or so I'll go to the letters the letters weren't written to me I'm interested in these no matter how they're shaped you know if they're carefully curated or not, it makes no difference to me. I can read anyone's book of letters. And so and that often leads me to their writing. Sometimes Mm. it's the opposite, you know, but I went looking for like this man is one of the most celebrated letter writers. Like he the volume of letters he's written thousands.
0: I've never read him I've read story his story, Call of Cthulhu and things like that, but I never read never read any of his letters.
1: Mm. And so he came about so one of my thinkers right now would be um god i always forget this guy's name because his name is so simple uh the um uh anyway i'll come back to him but at any rate so lovecraft has been around into my energy for a while mm-hmm. as a because mm-hmm. i for some reason i'm attracted to the 40 30 40 50s writers um i love the harlem renaissance writers but sometimes i'm not in the space where i'm like and uplift the race i'm not in I'd tell me a story <laughs> Zone Hurston just tell me a story she will tell me a story Langston he's one the very few writers that would do that other than you know and then the 40 30 40s and 50 writers sometimes are left out of the conversation and then there's boom there's the 60s and so mm, mm. somehow I, I found myself like there so at any rate so Lovecraft has been in my brain for a moment but I'm not a horror person I mm. am a um eerie person or a weird person mm. so and I also like to trace what the literary sensibilities were like during a particular political and social time in America. So sometimes that's where I can get the 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 meat and bones of what I need. I, analysis is great, but I want to go to where the artists were, you know, and see what they mm-hmm. were what they were conjuring up. So he's a letter writer. I think he the the kind of life I, I I used to I didn't used to say, but in my brain, I was like when I read about Lovecraft and I read about, he came from money, but they lost their money. His father committed suicide. His mother died in the same institution his father. Wow. Yeah. father went to. He was a very solitary man. He was told by his mother he was super ugly. And even though he married, it, you know, he, if you ever look at Lovecraft, he has a very long face mm. and a very mm. sort of like he's a very like tight. There's a tightness there. Mm. So the very few mm. letters that I have read, like he put a lot of time and sensibility into his letters. Mm, mm, I'm going to go mm-hmm. to the stories eventually, but i'm going to I'm going to sup on the letter writing for a while mm. <laughs> because that's again that's where I find um there what I don't agree with them was that I think that he could he's the kind of I, I used to romanticize this kind of writer, writing at the expense of everything social because I was an antisocial mm. kid, right? Mm, I had to learn mm. how to be social and be present with people because I was so anxious and insecure and so forth. Mm. But um, but that Lovecraft, that kind of, I write all day long, I stay in my room, I go out and I cover my face when I'm walking down the street because I don't want people to see me kind of thing. The way he's been written about and the way he's written about himself, I'm like, yeah, I can see that happening. I think what we think of as normal, we like, oh, you're normal. You go out, you have friends, you have family members, you might get married, you might have a relationship. And there's just like swaths of people that don't do any of that. People Mm. sometimes who have nobody, you know, Mm. in terms of friends or a social circle that they go to. And he did have them and he did travel, but he wasn't. But he was he was so self-aware and self-deprecating and so um, dead on himself. And he learned a lot Mm. of that as a kid. Mm. So, but he was also very, you know, he, he hated the Jews, he hated the blacks, he hated he he hated what do you call it the um what was it? Someone put it so well the other day in an article. It's like the um the starter pack for racism. <laughs>
2: Wow. <laughs> I, was like, wow.
1: I was like oh man I need to go back and I'll credit that guy later because right, I think it was a man who wrote it but it made me laugh because I was like here's your starter pack uh, you're going to hate these people and you're going to you know so, mm. um, but, so but I feel like I, I can always learn something from somebody and whenever my imagination or my um, something's pulling me in that direction I just try to go and read as much as I can or think about you know and consider mm. that person so he's one of those people that even Lovecraft Country came out That um, Mm -hmm. I never want. How was it, by the way? I haven't actually seen it. I will not see it because I have. And it could could be awesome. I've heard some people who loved it, and some other people were like, "I don't know." But the I the way that people commonly characterize that show was that, in addition to racism that Black people were experiencing, you know, in Jim Crow, Mm -hmm. they also had to deal with monsters. And I was like. I don't find that entertaining. <laughs> yeah, one monster know. was enough. One monster's <laughs> enough, you know, and also I'm not sure, I don't trust, so I don't, I have a hard time trusting cultural producers for mass producers for films and TV shows because I feel like they're mm-hmm. going for the common denominator in terms of they're going to sensationalize. I, I hate biopics because oftentimes they don't. Follow, they're like, "Oh, we took liberties here." Well, she wasn't married. Why, do you, why is she married in this? Um, you know, I don't like. I don't like the thing that we were talking about earlier about um, culture being this thing that's guiding you. So I'm not interested in the crown. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm interested mm-hmm. in monarchies and learning about those things, but not yeah. as mm-hmm. a dramatic exercise. So yeah. I'm not entertained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm like manners and stuff. I'm like. Uh, so what you're doing in France in the mid-19th century. Yeah. You guys didn't like water, <laughs> yeah. and you thought that if you look clean, you were clean. Got it. So they're just like little things that I, I don't mind um, doing, but I don't like a lot of cultural products, and I won't go near them, um, because I would rather read. I'd rather go to what I just told you about, the letters and other things.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, now I, I, mm-hmm. I do just want to so, uh, – sorry, Stephen, to interrupt, but sure. I do just want to say I did see Lovecraft H- uh, Lovecraft Country, and it was really good. It was actually it was actually it was actually, okay. it was actually okay. quite excellent.
0: Okay.
1: That's awesome. And so I'm going to go really quick on this last person because there's so <laughs> many th- people that I love and care about. But I'm okay. going to go to Michael Jefferson. She is a professor at Columbia. She's written mm-hmm. several books. The first that I she's a Pulitzer prize winning journalist. teach journalism at Columbia. Her first book was called On Michael Jackson and it was the best book I'd ever read on any cultural figure in the way that she placed him. Mm. So she placed him in a, she placed him, she, it was like you were walking into a hall where you see these statues and it's like, okay, there's the family tradi- family entertainment tradition. There is the menstrual tradition. There is the um, solo mm. artist tradition. And she was just kind of, she wasn't doing a lot of critique. She was more examining how people responded to Michael Jackson. Mm. That I really appreciated, and so I fell in love with that book. Fell in love with her second book, which was a memoir called *Negro Land*. And she was mm. she grew up, and she and her sister they grew up in Chicago, and they were expected to be, mm. they were well groomed to be middle class women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what they did with that, and so I'm mm. always I'm always in love with people who go against how they were raised. I'm like, so mm. why? Mm. You know, what mm. was it like? You know, mm. tell me more, because we think that wealth is paradise. And it's not. It's just another state of being. There may be more food in the mm-hmm. house. There may be more people around in some cases, but it doesn't mean you're happy. All that stuff, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of thirty movies were trying to tell us. Oh, daddy, mm-hmm. I want to be with the man across the tracks. Let me be with them. No, you're my daughter, and you're—he's not getting my money. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. There were a lot of yeah, life. yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so the and the the third book, which is called Constructing a Nervous System, I just finished. And it's just spectacular. I wish I would have done a Seth and had the book in front of me. I mm. recommend, highly recommend this book as a thinker. So if the first book was about a cultural figure mm. on Michael Jackson, the second book was about her own experience sort of thinking about critically about how she grew up, why she grew up that way. And when I spoke with her once, I asked her, I said, well, why did you do it? And she goes, because I wanted to be accountable. I fell in love with her. I'll be in love with Mar- Margot Jefferson for the rest of my life.
0: Mm. The third
1: book... Is her going into and moving around some of the things in that memoir in the house. I grew Mm. up this way, but here's what I was doing and why I was doing Mm. it and Mm. how I was assuming the voice of of black jazz artists. And Mm. then she would take you into these moments where I would put down the book and go, what? And this is a very small book, but it's dense. It's deceptively simple. She mm. writes beautifully. Mm. She's very crisp. Her wit is so sharp. I love Margot Jefferson. So I love mm. that kind of thinker. Mm. I need to be with people who are not satisfied with what they've been given, mm. and that they're moving things in and around the house. Going, so well, how does it look in this light? You know. Mm. And so she's got gifts,
0: Margot Jefferson. And you said the third the third book is called Constructing a Nervous System. Yes.
1: <laughs>
2: Yeah, I just uh, wrote it a down. great title.
1: Yeah, i love that title to death. And I remember when it first came out, I was like, I can't wait for this. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. so she's one of my favorite thinkers among many people, but
2: at the moment, yeah. So I, I just want to go back, um, just because I happened on this when you were speaking, Stephen, and and this is hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I when you look up H.P. Lovecraft, people on the I guess the Google search, people. There's a mm-hmm. section where people also ask. What was H.P. Lovecraft afraid of? Lovecraft mm. was also frightened of invertebrates, marine life in general, yes. yeah. temperatures below freezing, fat people, people of other races, <laughs> race mixing, <laughs> slums, percussion instruments, caves, cellars, old age, great yes. expanses <laughs> of time, monumental architecture, non-Euclidean geometry, <laughs> deserts, oh, shit, gravy.
1: Rats,
2: dogs, <laughs> <laughs> like, I just put life in brackets. <laughs>
1: right, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: exactly. Great expanses of time.
1: <laughs> like, <how do> you... <laughs> and these were some of those things he actually wrote about himself that oh actually hurt him. So this isn't people saying this about him. This is him saying about himself.
2: Oh my um,
1: God. This guy he, was
2: a freak. He's a freak. But you know what it was? He was. So it's,
1: I feel, I don't know why I feel protective of Lovecraft. I have no idea. I was like, don't call him a freak. But he was, because I think when I hear freak or punk or hear certain kinds of things, it's a, and I know you're not doing this, minimizing their experience or like,
2: yeah, no, no. You got a tattoo
1: on your neck. How come you can't work? You know, it's like, no, this person experienced life this way and was brave enough in some ways to talk about it and to be him or her themselves. Yeah. Love that. I love that so much. And so, yeah, well, he was true. afraid of a lot of stuff. And I,
0: mean, <laughs> and I mean, certainly, if you, I mean, maybe you don't want to quite use the word, maybe I, I shouldn't say you, maybe I don't quite want to use the word genius, but certainly flirting with it. I mean, he invented an entire type of horror. I mean, you mm-hmm. got Poe, obviously, at Allan Poe. Poe oh, uh, he loved. Really yeah. Kind of, yeah, um, yeah. And, and, but you know i mean the Eldridge horror stuff and kind of the mm-hmm. the enormities of time and space oh, yeah. and the insignificance of human beings Cosmicis- like, cosmicism or something Cosmic- yeah i mean and and that and that how that plays into how that in, ultimately played into the culture mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. is uh i mean it certainly inspires comic book storylines uh, i mean continues uh, to yeah I, I, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in that way, I mean, a real um, uh, creative force to be reckoned with, mm. certainly.
1: Um, Absolutely. No, he's he's pretty fantastic in that way. But also, I, I, and... and I want to say something about the notion of a freak or punk. And some people have like, have, Mm. you know, there's the whole reclamation of the term and saying, I am a freak, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And some of them Mm are like, you're not much of a freak. You're just taking the term, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you go to bed at eight, you know. So it's like...
2: Wow, you're, oh my a, guys, you're, you're amazing! You're a, yeah, you're a vegan. Come on, <laughs> like, like, like wish, slow down. I right. wish this
0: video of Stephen's expressions when he delivers some of his lines actually for the listeners because it's very funny. <laughs> oh, and I do remember the name of the guy,
1: it's Mark Fisher. I've talked about him before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you when, have. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like him. A lot. I have his book and, too. Yeah, you were telling me yeah. about him, and i so plan on investing more time in his the 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 stuff he did produce while he was here. The K-pop mm. stuff is it K-pop? Not K-pop, that's Korean. K something. An acid left and some other things that he's associated with. Maybe terms he didn't even really develop, but mm. yeah, I love I love the portals to the thinkers because I had a quick and I'll say this and it'll be the last thing I say, which is there are people like Francis Bacon. I like the way he thinks about his art. Samiya Bashir is an amazing poet. And if you ever talk with her, she's she's just cosmic. She's her book is called her last book of poetry is called The um, theories, and it's just mm. amazing poetry that you can get in and move mm. around in. Charles Burkowski, mm. I love his broke mm. but also his simple mm. way of writing. Jax Derrida, mm. I'm still learning things about the way he understood postmodernism and some other stuff. Bill Hooks, I like mm. Bill Hooks's work from time. Earlier stuff, not so much the later stuff, because I feel like it's a bit repet- repetitious, but that's what artists can do some do sometimes. They get one thing, and then, you know, anyhow. Um, they, Susanna Casey who wrote... Mm. Girl Interrupted, an amazing book, film not so great, it's okay, but the book, she's an amazing writer, mm. and Michelle Wallace, mm. Faith Ringgold's um, daughter, but also an amazing thinker, funny as all get out, and um, yeah, so that's my quick run
2: through. So so just to right. piggyback on that, uh, someone approached me, I, I don't remember the name of the organization, there's some prize, approached me uh, asking for nominations for under- the way they phrased it is a particular way that I, I'm not recalling right now, but it's something like older, underrecognized artists. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I nominated Faith Ringgold. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, the funny thing is I told that to someone else, and he said, Faith Ringgold, who just had the show at the New Museum? I'm like, yeah, I know, but she's 90-something, and she's finally yes. gotten that show. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that she's a woman who deserves a lot of, more recognition Um, I didn't know about her daughter but now I'm going to look her up but yeah
1: please look at Michelle Wallace because there's just a great dynamic working between them Michelle writes a piece in the um, American People um, catalog Mm. that I bought from the show okay Um, Okay. but her own work too yeah
0: Michelle's the business and to
1: have two famous people in the same family that's hard but it's it's an
0: interesting (laughs) dynamic yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: Mm-hmm. um okay so I want to be cognizant I mean because we're coming up on time mm-hmm. I think Stephen you have you have a I
2: think you got to do yeah. yeah yes so,
0: mm-hmm. um so, uh, okay. Well, I, I suppose maybe this week we won't commit to what we're talking about next week we and just kind of work it out between the two of us. I mean, obviously something else will be on fire between now and then. <laughs> well, I feel like
2: we kind of, we kind of do have to address the things that are on fire in the world right now, right? Like the recent mass shootings and whatnot. I mean, it kind of feels like. Yeah. Massured. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm happy, happy to, yeah. happy to solve that problem. <laughs> That's great. Oh my goodness. Let's wait for someone to solve it. Cause <laughs> I just want to eat and watch TV. Um, <laughs> and
1: blank it all out, it'll go away, it'll go away, it'll go away. So yeah, me too. I mean
2: yeah. yeah. right.
0: um, okay, all right. Um well good talking to you guys. Yep. Great, thanks. Take care.
2: Take care. Bye. Bye.